Um, so we are in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Nick joked last week as we were going through the Sermon on the Mount that we, we launched on April 4th, like so we're four and a half years old. And we're four and a half, what did I say? It's that morning. We're four and a half months old, and we've made it through one whole chapter of the Bible, everybody. So yeah, and we are going into chapter six. We are walking as a church community through the Sermon on the Mount, super intentional. We, just, we believe we want to be a people that are formed by the words of Jesus. Like that we take this and we're like, how are you wanting to form this in our lives? And we are going to slowly walk through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount because we believe like that these words like will form in us like a heart that, that apprentices to Jesus. A heart that goes like, like, God, will you teach me how to live like you? And so we submit ourselves to these words. We, we like listen to what Jesus says. And as we go into chapter six, I thought it'd be just appropriate that we do a little bit of a recap of what we've walked through as a church so far. So if it's your first time here, we're gonna like blitz through, just do a quick recap. The Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes. It's Jesus's upside down announcement of who it is, who the people are that will make up the kingdom of heaven. These people are the blessed ones. It's the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted for righteousness' sake, the insulted for Jesus' sake. They're blessed. The kingdom belongs to them. It's breaking in amongst them. They are that we are the salt of the earth, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So Jesus makes this announcement, and then he kind of gives his announcement of what role he plays. He's not come to abolish the law, the Torah, but to fulfill the purpose of God's story with Israel. In Jesus, the entire story of Israel, the entire story of the scriptures get fulfilled. They're completed in him. And as we see at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking of, as one who has authority. And he is teaching us as he, as that unless our righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that we will not enter the kingdom that Jesus is inaugurating. I don't believe that means that we need to outpace the Pharisees and the teacher of law or like do it better, but we actually need to go beyond. We need to go to the depths of who we are. As we talked a lot about in the Sermon on the Mount, like it's, we're talking about our heart posture. What is like our inner world like? Jesus then gives us six teachings that were really, really hard. If you've been here for the past six weeks, it's like, man, Jesus comes out of the gate, like talking about anger and contempt, our obsessive desires or lust, being people of covenant and care, how we coerce people like with verbal manipulation and oaths, non-retaliation, enemy love, blessing those who persecute us. If you look at your Bibles right now, look how the Sermon on the Mount is laid out. Um, you're going to see in our modern Bibles a bunch of headers and verses. Those aren't original um, to Matthew, but like translators put those in just to kind of help us navigate and to help us find our way. But if you look at it, when I was looking at it today, I just, it looks like all these blocks, almost like Twitter or like Instagram posts, right? Like a post about oaths, a post about divorce, a post about retaliation. And what can sometimes happen is when we read it that way, we, we forget that like this is one cohesive thought, this is Jesus giving a sermon. I'm giving a sermon from somebody else's sermon, right? Like this is Jesus' like stringing together. This is what I see kingdom people being like. And so they're not to be taken in chunks, but they're actually seen like as a cohesive thought coming all together. 
as we continue to teach in chapter six today, we need to be reminded that Jesus is building something here. Much like his metaphor at the end of the sermon, like a wise man who built his house on the rock or on the sand. Jesus is, is building kingdom people. He is forming us into mature daughters and sons of God. He is building a new humanity. He's building you and me. Through this, like he's building his church. And he does this brick by brick. And I like to see these teachings like that. They're bricks laid on top of bricks, laid on top of bricks, building kingdom people. Each part of the teaching presupposes the other part. Does that make sense? Like it builds on top of each other. We simply can't understand the teaching we're going to go into or like be able to like bear the weight of it and the load on our lives unless we're being formed by the earlier parts of the sermon. For instance, receiving the teaching on anger and contempt, it first depends on us receiving the teaching of us and our identity being that of well-being, being that of blessed. Blessed are you. Receiving the teaching of when Jesus addresses our lust, we must first receive the teaching, blessed are the pure in heart. To receive, like to actually like practice love of enemy, so difficult. We must first receive that blessed are the merciful. Jesus, as we come and we bring our lives to be formed by Jesus and his word, to be freed from anger, to be freed from obsessive desire and lust, if I'm to become a person like we talked last week of agape love, not meaning like I just love hamburgers, but I like, like love that is cross-shaped and cross-formed and self-sacrificial. This is the love of the Father that Jesus shows us. If we're to be freed from anger and from like coercion, then we have to build our lives like as Jesus walks us through this. That's why there can be this predicament for us sometimes when we read, turn the other cheek. Or we read, bless those who persecute you and hate us. It can seem ridiculous and impossible for us. But I think that's because we're seeing our lives just as they are now. Instead of saying, God, like, would you form me with this first part? That I understand that it's blessed are the merciful. And then would you form me not to have like anger in my heart and then form me how I use my words. What I'm getting at is this. And what I want to get as we go into chapter six, just to remind us as a church that we're never done with this. Like, we're never done with the Sermon on the Mount. Like, at the end of it, we don't, like, I passed that grade, right? Like, it's, it's the life work of just going, like, God, would you do it again? Would you work again? Until Jesus' words become our base operating system in our being. And so that is what we're after today. And if you're like me, like, I constantly just need grace. Like, God, would you just give me grace again? Would you continue to form in my heart to form in us a new humanity that finds its identity in Jesus, that we become like Jesus, that we do the things that Jesus did. So you ready for chapter six today? Yeah? Yeah. Would you pray with me as we begin? Jesus, we, like Chris prayed, like we just, we come, these are your words, Jesus. And so I pray that you, like, that you would use my words and like just humbly come and like, give you like loaves and fishes. And would you today speak? Like, we can't do this without you, Holy Spirit. So we say, come, Holy Spirit. Would you invade our hearts again? Would you, like, enlighten these words for us? Would you, through your, um, Jesus, would you, like, penetrate our hearts? And again, do that formation of work that we can become like you. That is our desire. That is why we're here. To become Christ-like. 
So Jesus, like we worship you by listening and obeying your words. Would you come? In your name we pray. Amen. Um, Liz and I have a thing in our house um, that, we, that we, we've learned in our marriage um, that we actually have two different definitions of what clean is. Um, like big different de- definitions. We have clean, which is what we have, and Liz has what we call Liz clean. Um, and so like we notice like she'll, she'll come home, she'll be like, hey, is it Liz clean or is it clean? And I'll be like, it's probably clean because there's, I'm never going to live up to Liz clean. That's what I'm learning. Um, but so during pandemic, uh, she went back to, to teaching, which was fantastic. And I'm with the kids, they're home all day. And so it's like, the house was a mess. She's coming home. I'm picking up. And one day, like kids were having a lower day and I'm like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do something incredible for her. Like I'm going to clean this house. Like I'm in the, I'm in the bathroom. I'm on my knees. I'm bleaching things. Never bleached before. Like ruined some pairs of clothes, that kind of stuff. Um, but we are like, like, I'm, I'm like, this is going to be amazing guys. I cleaned a ceiling fan. Like I dusted a ceiling fan, which is, I know I was pretty proud of myself. So I'm sitting there going like, I'm my heart, I'm like, I'm going to love and I'm going to bless my wife. I'm doing this. I'm probably doing it for different motives, but like, I'm like, but I'm like, I'm going to, I'm really just trying to bless her, like show her that I love her. And sure enough, Liz walks home and she walks in and the first thing she does, she grabs the vacuum and she starts getting all the spots that I missed. Doesn't even notice the ceiling fan. And all of a sudden, like, I'm like, what did I, what did I even do that for? Right? Like, I'm like, this just didn't work. And I'm, I'm realizing, like, I, I tell that story jokingly because as we walk into something we're going to walk into today, Jesus is going to talk a lot about intentions. And I realize, like, I, sometimes I'll do that in my life where I'm doing something kind and good and amazing, but the reason I'm doing it is, like, ulterior motives sometimes. Or I'm like, I'm hoping this, I wish this. And, and when, she, when she walked in there and she started just vacuuming things, it's like it, it realized, like, oh, I was actually doing that not just to bless and to love, but I was doing that so she would notice and think that I can do Liz clean too, which I can't. That's what I'm learning. But that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the intention of the heart. Jesus has shown us what living holistically in the kingdom of heaven looks like, and he is now going to shift. We've done those six teachings, and he is now going to shift, and he's going to alert us to something that can stifle or block or shift the course in our life of becoming people of the kingdom. He gives us two things. First, it is looking for the approval of others, especially in religious devotion, looking quite godly, right? The second is our desire to find our security in ourselves or what we have or our material wealth. We'll hit that in the, next, in the next chapter. But for this chapter, we're going to be hitting this, this approval of others. So read with me again, Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And for the next three weeks, we're gonna talk about the approval of others or what Dallas Willard calls religious respect. And Jesus is going to talk about three practices in chapter 6. The three things are this, giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. 
And these things in Jesus' day, as we see in other rabbinic writings, were the three core practices of the Jewish faith. And these practices should and, and should continue in the Christian faith as well. But Jesus here isn't going to give an in-depth teaching on like prayer and fasting and giving to the needy, but he is going to interact with these ideas to show his apprentices, us, the danger of religious hypocrisy. The desire that comes from a place of cultivating religious respect and being noticed and praised from the wrong source will for us, my friends, like immediately drag us into the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, which Jesus says we must go beyond if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven. The desire of the Pharisee is to focus on the visible action and ignore like the source of the action. Does that make sense? To like focus on the visible action, what's being done, and away from the source of the actions. Let's read verse one, one again. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Stop. Just a chapter ago, Jesus says, you are the light of the world, right? A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So when you do your do good deeds in front of men, so that they will glorify your Father in heaven. And then here it seems like he's like doing something different. Like don't do it in front of others. Like what's going on here, Jesus? First, Jesus isn't saying don't practice your righteousness in front of others. He's not saying don't do it in front of others. What his caution is, is for us to examine the source of our actions. In other words, he's after our intentions and our motivations. Jesus here gives us a warning. Do you see it? Be careful. Be full of care about this. We need to be full of care about this. Avoid this misstep, this danger. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Why? It's important here. In order to be seen by them. Let me ask you this. Can you see someone's intentions? I can't see yours. You can't see mine. Can we? I mean, we can kind of guess by people's actions what their intentions are, but like we truly can't know someone's like core motivation. We just don't get to know that. It remains in a hidden place. Place. On top of that, we're often really suspicion, suspicious of people's intentions, aren't we? Really suspicious, like, what are they doing that for? And we're always pretty gracious with our own intentions, is what I always notice as well. Um, it's been said we judge ourselves by our intentions, but others by their actions right? Like, look at what they did. I know what they meant by that, such and such thing. And then when it gets called out in us, we're like, well, I didn't mean it that way, right? Like, we're always really gracious with our intentions. But if I'm honest, like, my motivations aren't always pure. If you're honest, I think that's with you as well. Like, we're a mixed bag, aren't we? Like, our motivations are a mixed bag. I'm up here teaching today, and it could be out of, like, great motivations because I, I want us to follow the way of Jesus. I love you. Like, that, I could be, or I could be like, I hope they like me. I hope this works out. All, this, all these different motivations, I'm trying to earn your respect. Like we can't see into each other's intentions. And how many of you, if you're honest, you're going to work tomorrow um, with your only motivation and intention purely just to contribute to society? Like, no. Like we, we're a mixed bag of intentions. And what Jesus is onto here is cautioning us and encouraging us to do the work with him of like checking our intentions. When it comes to practicing righteousness, we need to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? 
What's my, what's my intent here? What is my motivation? And Jesus is warning his followers that this is something to beware of. There's a danger of hypocrisy within the Jesus community as we apprentice to him together, that we do Jesus things so that you think that I'm Jesus-y. Make sense? And so, like, we're going to submit ourselves to Jesus here because in order... We don't want to, I'm sorry, because if we are doing things in order to be seen by others, we are actually going to miss out on the thing we really want. The thing that will really fulfill us. We will not receive, as the scripture says, the reward that the Father gives. And more on that later. But let's look at the next verse. Verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. Okay, pause there. First, this passage assumes that Jesus' people will take part in giving to the needy. It's not don't give, but how we give that Jesus is getting at here. Giving to the needy is more than just giving some money to our houseless neighbors who ask when they're in need. But the weight of the word practice righteousness encompasses like the work of restorative justice, the work of caring and helping for the poor and for the sick and for the orphans, and for the widows, those oppressed, those experiencing injustice. In the first century, this word was often translated um, almsgiving. The word used early in practice of righteousness suggests that Jesus is referring to the Jewish practice of sadikah. We talked about this when we looked at the beatitude, blessed are the woes who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This word's loosely like translated charity, and it is always married with justice righteousness and justice. Jesus here clearly affirms and even just like basically assumes of us that giving to the needy is something that we will and that we should do. Generosity and care should be markers of his church. It should be markers of us as a church. It's really like, it's, it's really common for us today as Christians to only care about the spiritual needs of others and to put at a, like a distant second the physical needs. And this is should not how, it should not be this way. Jesus here assumes, of course you're going to give to the needy. And we need to hear that. Jesus assumes this, but that's not what he's getting at in his teaching here. Jesus, again, is after the motivations of our heart. And he is giving us an invitation to place those motivations properly where they belong where we have a desire to be seen from what we do, from the person who can actually see it. Jesus in this passage points out that when we do things like giving to the needy, it is okay to be seen, but by whom you're seen makes all the difference. Let's keep going. Verse two again. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets to be honored by others. When you hear the word hypocrite, what comes to mind? What's your definition of hypocrite? Give me some feedback. What's a hypocrite to you? Anybody? Hooligan? What? Hooligan? Not a hooligan. Far off, buddy. That's good. A hypocrite. What does a hypocrite mean? Say one thing, do something else, right? False. Is that what, do we agree? Is that kind of what that hypocrite means? Interesting, the word hypocrite, and that's right, that's how we use it today. In Jesus' day, interesting enough, Jesus is the first person to introduce this word, how we typically use it today. Before, before Jesus using this in his teaching, like this term was not used for that, how we understand it today. If I say hypocrite, I know what that means. Like you're being a hypocrite. 
you are doing something that you don't actually believe, or you're acting out of, like, not your inner self. In Jesus' day, hypocrite wasn't a pejorative word as we use it. It didn't mean deceiver. It just meant an actor on a stage. That person's a hypocrite. They're an actor. This is an image that I think Jesus turns into a revealing metaphor. He uses it 17 times in the scriptures, and who does he use it for? The religious leaders of his day. This is Jesus calling out the religious leaders of his day and saying, you're like a hypocrite. In Palestine, in the time, there's numerous theaters around. If you've ever seen like the ruins in Israel, you've probably seen at some point like a ruins of a theater, either in like Ephesus or like somewhere in Israel. They were imports of Roman culture that were meant to influence a conquered culture to embrace the Greco-Roman way of life and philosophy. Jesus was certainly familiar with these theaters. And in fact, one theater in the city of Sepphoris is like right next to the city of Nazareth where Jesus is born. And this was being built while Jesus was a young man. And we know that Joseph, his father, was a carpenter and that Jesus would apprentice under that skilled trade. Jesus was a carpenter as well. And a carpenter in Greek me is tekton, um, which just means builder or construction worker. It gets translated carpenter, and because how we use it, this, the word, like we imagine Jesus just like calmly sanding a rocking chair for Mary, right? Like I hate to burst your bubble, but like it's probably not that. Like Jesus, like there's not a lot of trees in the Galilee. They're, like wood's rare. What do they have a lot of though? like stones and rock. Jesus most likely is a stonemason. Like he's a construction worker. And a lot of scholars believe like actually the city of Sepphoris that was being rebuilt at a time just next door to Nazareth, like a couple miles, that most likely like Joseph and Jesus would have been hired. But imagine like Jesus is seeing this thing like pious religious, like religious, like it's like hypocrites, actors. He uses a vivid image to help his hearers connect to what he sees for what it is. It's a sham and it's an act. Jesus is saying those religious leaders who do their acts of righteousness in order to be seen are actors. They're hypocrites. Theologian Gary Brashear said one time in a class that maybe a better way of recapturing the intent of this word as they would hear it for us would be to swap out hypocrite with celebrity. Celebrity. The state of being celebrated, right? Like, oh, that person, they're celebrities. They're just getting seen, but it's not coming from here. Let's keep, read verse 2 again. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. This passage says that they do this thing. They practice their righteousness. Why? To be honored by others. Notice how they do it too. They apparently announce it with trumpets. And we're like, that's weird. But then we also have Instagram stories for that, right? Kind of like, trumpet sound, trumpet sound, look at, I'm sorry if I'm too close to home on that. Uh, me too. Uh, the first century equivalent of Instagram story. And here's, here's what makes sense for us. When I asked like what hypocrisy means to you, we started thinking. Or if I said like, define a hypocrite, and like, if you thought about it for a second, I was thinking about it all week, and I'm like, yeah, that person's a hypocrite. Totally, that person's a hypocrite. That one as well. And just like as I was reading, I was going like, man, I'm a hypocrite too. Like, like we're, we are. Like, we, like, there's often times that we put on the act, that we put on the celebrity. And this to Jesus, guys, is an in-house warning for the Jesus community. 
the community he wants to build. It's an in-house warning as he builds a new, new humanity. And this is, the one, this is like one of the main things that will like stunt our maturity. It will stunt our maturity when we get rewarded from the wrong source when we're doing the right thing. When we get rewarded for doing, from the wrong source when doing the right thing, are they giving to the needy? Here, they're killing it. They're giving to the needy. But what are they actually getting? They're getting a false reward of being noticed from others and not being noticed from who? Let's read verse 2 again. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets to be honored by others. Here it is. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. When we do good deeds in order to be seen by others, guess what happens? We get seen by others. We get seen by others. That is because that is what we're looking to get. God responds accordingly to our desire, stands aside, and lets us have what we want. We get praised, we get celebrated, people honor us, and if you're honest, that feels really good, right? I did a good thing, somebody noticed, I'm like, yeah, I'm a good person, right? It feels good, but Dallas Willard says this, what they wanted, they got. They wanted people to recognize their good deeds, and people did. The ego is bloated and the soul shrivels. You hear that? I'll say that again. What they wanted, they got. They wanted people to recognize their good deeds and people did. The ego is bloated and the soul shrivels. And we recognize this. When our intentions and desire seeks the approval of honor and others, what happens when we actually don't get it? When I do the right thing, when I clean the house, like when I do the thing and nobody notices it, it's like, ugh. Anxiety, depression, frustration, disappointment, even anger and bitterness, all the good stuff, right? So sit with that for a second. How do I know if I'm seeking to be noticed by others? How do I explore my intentions with the Lord? How, how do I know what my intentions are? Like we said before, like we're a mixed bag. There's some good, there's some bad intentions. How do I like correctly, like Jesus, how do I know my intentions in the thing, the good thing that I'm doing? Our intent is often discovered by what we expect and want from our actions. In other words, if I'm serving or doing some good or giving, what do I expect from this action? And truthfully, we really only discover our intentions and how we react when we actually don't get the reaction that we were expecting, right? We can know our intentions by like the attention that we get from it sometimes. Scott McKnight in his commentary mentioned four questions to ask ourselves to examine our intentions as Jesus warns to be full of care and a warning here. When you're, like, when you're serving, when you are giving, when you are doing something good, like practicing righteousness, when you don't get the response you thought you were going to get, do we grumble when we don't get noticed or we don't get congratulated? That's an indication of our motives. If it's like, ah, oh, I didn't get what I wanted. My motivations are probably off then. Number two, do I get envious or jealous when someone else gets more credit for something that I participated in? Three, do I get irritated and anxious 
when things don't go the way I wanted to, even though I gave so much of myself? And four, do I actually calculate the impact of this thing, this giving to the needy, this, this doing something good before I do it? Like, is this an important person that I'm doing this for? Or will a lot of people be there to see it? When those things come up, and they usually come up after the fact, I think it's just like this grace of going like, our intentions were off. Like my motivation was skewed. And Jesus here is saying, we're looking for affirmation in the wrong place. Here's our last verse. Verse three. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that you, that your giving may be in secret. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What on earth does that mean? I think Jesus is getting at here that the end goal for us is to grow into people who naturally just do the things of Jesus. To become the kind of people who follow Jesus, who are transformed, and it doesn't come out of a schedule, it doesn't come out of a program, but just who we are in following Jesus. It's the kind of people who've been so transformed by the Spirit that like good deeds just naturally flow out of our character regardless of who sees. It's precisely the kind of people whose left hand would not notice what the right hand is doing. Have you ever like driven home from work and pulled up into your driveway and kind of like went on autopilot and been like, I don't actually even remember driving home just now. Like I just showed up my driveway. I know I was hopefully paying attention and didn't run a red light. Like has it ever happened to you? Just like the automatic, I've been doing this. I've been doing this. I like, know what it is. Not letting our left hand know what the right hand is doing, I think is a way of saying like this innocence of this automatically, out of our relationship with Jesus, giving and serving simply because that is what we, regardless of who sees. And a reformation in our mind that somebody is always saved. There is always somebody who can see into the motivations. Let's read the last line of the verse. Verse three, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus is saying right motivation for giving to the needy is for the reward of our father. He doesn't say what the reward is. You notice that? He just says to act because the father notices. This is what we actually desire. I believe this is what we actually want when we hope others will see it. There's a deep seeing that we only get from the one who can actually see in the secret place. The one who can actually see what is hidden, and that is God. That is our Father who can see. It's the one person that we actually get the thing that we, I want to be noticed, and he's like the one person that can actually fulfill that. We are born with a desire to be noticed, aren't we? I mean, baby Oliver comes out of the womb, a couple weeks ago, desire to be noticed. Like, please see me. Like, please feed me, right? Um, like, we just have that innate, innate in us. With the Olympics a few weeks ago, um, our house turned into a gymnasium, um, especially with, like, our middle daughter, Blakely. Like, I think she wants to be a gymnast one day. We'll see. Like, she's just like, if that girl does it on TV, she's trying it somewhere. Um, and we got to do carpentry last week, kind of like as a last-ditch vacation uh, before school started. It was amazing. And we're on the beach every day, and like every day, my, my 
seven-year-old daughter is doing front handsprings. I think that's what they're called. Like she taught herself how to do it. So we're on the beach and she's just like for an hour straight, just like, and I'm just sitting there watching her. Like this is like, she's going to tuck her out at some point. Right. And everybody's like amazed. But I noticed something is like, if you're, if you're a parent and you have like a kid that age, like they just, all they care about is that you see them. Right. Like, dad, are you watching? Dad, are you watching? Yes. For the 50th time, I've seen you do the handspring. But she's like, Dad, are you watching? Are you watching? And then she'll do it. Like, did you see it? Did you see it? It's like, I saw it. And just reflecting on that and on this passage, I just, I just had this thought of like, there were so many people on the beach that day. And actually a lot of them were really impressed with her. Like this little kid and how she was doing it. But like all she cared about, all she cared about was that I saw her and like affirmed it afterwards. You know what I mean? And like that, and, just, and I was sitting there going like, that's, I wonder if that's kind of what it's like with us. Is when we do our acts of righteousness, like when we do that, like the father looks at us and it's like, well done. And we actually get the thing that our heart desires. Like when Blakely is doing that front handspring and everybody can see her and is amazed, but all she wants is her dad, me, to go like, great job, Blakely. Like, that's incredible. And in the same way, like our hearts, would they be formed to actually like look at our father, to look at God and be like, God, like when I do something, would like my motivations be that? to be seen by you. Like, like God, did you see? Like, God, did, did you see it? Like, are you, are you watching? And I think when we have that posture, when we look to the one who can actually see our motivations, it's like, it's like our motivations get cleaned up. And then I can actually do and I can serve out of who I am because out of who I am is that identity of, of blessed are you. Blessed are you. We are a community that practices the way of Jesus in our city. And so just as a practice this week, I want to encourage you, like in, especially in these next couple, this, this chapter as we talk about giving to the needy, as we talk about prayer, and as we talk about fasting, to actually practice these things in a way that Jesus, us, and Jesus invites us into. And so this week, like would you find a way to practice doing something Serving, Maybe it is giving to the needy, but something in that capacity of giving to yourself and do it so nobody sees it. Like not your spouse, not Instagram world. Like just practice it. Let's put that into practice as a community. And as we go in time of responding, um, we're going to worship. And at the very end of our gathering today, we're going to take the bread and cups. We're just going to sing a few songs. I'm teaching and singing today, so you're getting a lot of me. I'm so sorry. But like... um, but I just, like, just want to posture our hearts for a second. And so just with eyes closed as we go into like a, just a time of prayer, um, I, want to, I want to actually like engage your imagination a little bit. I want you to like imagine, um, imagine God or imagine Jesus just like, like saying well done to you. Like in your heart and in your mind, just imagine him for a second like saying well done. Like imagine yourself um, doing something like caring for someone or, or practicing righteousness, giving to somebody. Maybe it's like serving in the way you serve. And just imagine like Jesus just saying, well done. Why I want to do that, like as we imagine that, as we, like we ask the Spirit just to like, would you form that image into our hearts that it becomes the dominant, um, the dominant like reward is just you, God, saying well done. 
you saying I see. I got to actually ask you, like, you kind of rewire our intentions and our motives as a church. God, there's so much, like, I think we just see it. There's so much hypocrisy that we encounter daily. There's so much celebrityism. Um, or like wanting to be seen, especially like with like religious stuff, God, or like church things. Like, like as we follow you, just this desire to be seen by others, it's there in my own heart as well. And I just ask God that you rewire us again, that you form in us again, like a heart that, that is pure, like that, that seeks to love and to serve just because that's who you are and what we've experienced in you. And so just in prayer, like with that like image of Jesus just saying, well done, and like that image of him just being proud of you, like would you ask the Lord as well just to reform that in your heart? Would that be the reward that we get? Just ask him now as we pray.